You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is William Gallagher. Hello. Oh, hang on. That, that was normal. That was regular. Thank you. Hello, Victor. I'm William. How are you doing? What's going on? I am so delighted you're here with me today. Right. You make it make it sound like because something terrible is going no, to No, it's it's just a great occasion when we can get together and make time to join all of you listeners and really talk about what's going on. This is so much fun for me. I do look forward to it, I gotta say. Yes. Best part of my week. Excellent. It is. So do you wear glasses by any chance? No. Uh I tried and decided no, I didn't. So uh, do you? I've realized I don't know that, actually. Why do we not know that about each other? Do you wear glasses? I do not. I do not. Oh, that's need why. Because you, you notice when somebody does, don't you? But if they don't, they could have just taken it off that moment. Maybe, maybe. But yeah. Apple glasses, which we've talked about for ages and ages and ages, are rumored. This is a could have. Now, obviously, we don't know the strength of this rumor, but could have hidden cameras and removable earphones. Right. You see, now this is actually one reason I was looking forward to it in particular this week talking to you, because I I don't quite grasp that. Uh, there'll be glasses that you can bolt on bits uh, to or, or or what, because it doesn't seem like um, what are the name of those lenses you get on the back of iPhones? Mount lenses, moment lenses. Yeah. You can just stick one of those on whenever you want to use whatever it is. Right. Is that wrong? Macro lens kind of thing. That's for the yes. phone. So wh- where, where are we getting this from? We're getting this from a patent application entitled Electronic Devices Having Electrically Adjustable Optical Layers. That was the first patent about these kinds of glasses. And it talked about hiding components, <laughs> right? It said that sensors, cameras, other elements may be required within an electronic device to drive certain features, obvious so far, but that these these... Openings could be hidden using windows or optical coatings and things like this. Um, so less bolt-on lenses, more a bit like the Hitchhiker's Guides. Um, well, that was uh, the, the glasses that turn uh, black when you're in danger. That was Stop the first. That was the first patent application. Oh. The second application is yeah. for a product that's called Display System Having an Audio Output Device, which talks about detachable speaker units. What, like headphones? Right. So if, if you had earphones that were a part of the headset but could be removed from the headset. Okay. Feels now, less like you'd be wearing these glasses than threading them around your head. So classically, AR goggles or VR goggles have been the head-mounted display with a headband or, or earpieces and then earphones that extend down from those earpieces or headband to pop into your ears. And that's kind of clunky, a little bit odd looking, but that's, that's how they've been. And Google with Google glass attempted to change that a little bit by going with, um, blanking on the name. It's, it's, it's sort of a transcranial vibration thing. I'll tell you in one second. Oh, these are in the aftershocks, uh, running headphones that I use the technology, bone conduction. Oh, so, so subcutaneous transmitters kind of things. Well, not subcutaneous, because that would apply underneath the skin. What what it does is that by placing, instead of having a speaker cone, instead of pushing air against your ear canal, what they're doing is that they're putting the the vibration directly on the surface of your skin, and it's vibrating through the bone and conducting into the ear canal that way. 
Okay. Instead of air vibrating to move the eardrum. No, it's, just um, picturing it. It's, it's, it's the vibration is coming through the bone and moving the eardrum to create the sound. Is this really a convoluted way for Apple to get me to yet again replace my AirPods? I mean, the question is, would they do that or would they, they use some form of AirPod with this and that's the detachable portion? Right, that makes sense. Leverage all their different products together. Yeah. Okay, I still I can't click it. You said about windows and uh, closing and things. I'm well, so to... so the idea is if you have a bunch of cameras, they're they're pretty gross looking, right? They they mm -hmm. put circles all over an otherwise smooth and clean device. Yes. The other problem is that when people look at that and know that there's a camera, they, they it changes the tenor of the conversation. For instance, yes. I wore Google Glass into a paintball shop. Okay. And. The paintball shop had four security cameras aimed at the counter where I was standing. Hmm. But because I had Google Glass on my head, and it was completely out of battery, the thing had run down, it wasn't doing anything, it was just there. Right. The fellow got really apprehensive and said, are you filming me? Are you filming me? You can't be filming me in here, you can't film me. And I said, first of all, it's out of battery. And second of all, you've got four cameras filming me. I can film you, you can't film me. Okay. But there is something to this, right? If you took Google Glass into a, a cafe or bar or something like this, people would be rightly somewhat apprehensive that, that they're now yes. being filmed. Now, it's entirely possible they were already being filmed and didn't notice it or that everyone's got a cell phone camera and filming could be taking place. But something about the head-mounted camera bothers people immensely. And that's, that's totally a fine and, and even understandable. So what Apple's talking about here is what can they do to preserve clean product lines? What can they do to preserve some functionality and, and talk about that? So they're talking about either hiding the cameras behind little mechanical doors or even behind electrochromatic glass where they can trigger the, uh, the glass to become opaque or transparent with electricity, which could then act like a shutter for the camera lens cover for the camera, if you will. I have a feeling that nobody is going to look to see whether your lens is open. They're just going to say, you're wearing Apple glasses. Well, that's exactly what happened with Google Glass, and especially with me, where it was completely out of power, and it was still an issue. The, the thing about this is, it, it doesn't necessarily mean this is what the product will be. It means that Apple is trying to go ahead and secure IP on all of the different things they could do. Oh, I see. Right, good point. Okay. So it's too early for me to worry yet about my fashion conscious status in my local town. Okay. No, no, I think you should start worrying about that immediately. Different reasons though. So yes, no, that's fine. Yes. Do we have any idea of anything? You said there was a second uh, patent. Was there a third or a whole series of these? I'm just... No. At this time, we, we really just have the two. Oh. Um focusing on on hiding sensors and detachable ear bits okay. cups things like that you know one of one of the things people have done in the past and of course is part here is that speaker units could be part of ear cups on a pivot that you could adjust or raise or lower uh things to detach it's it's just different ways of approaching it okay I'm, uh, i think uh i'm slightly ambivalent about it until we see what use they are uh to us 
for it. I think the technology could be as clever as it likes, but if there's no benefit to me, then I won't be wearing it just to be wearing it. So it's it's true. This is a problem. Um, but this is the problem that we've always had around virtual reality and augmented reality is, yeah. is that it's not exactly clear what all the uses are. And until we have a, a use that requires day-to-day wear and is is easier than just looking at the phone that we already have, then that transition won't happen. Now, it already clearly it already has with AirPods, right? People totally wear AirPods throughout the day, even when they're not listening to anything at all. And yeah, which I don't like, but uh, it is being done. Yeah. Right. I'm not commenting on whether you like or don't like it. I'm commenting that it's, no, it's certainly am. a thing. Um, and and so it's entirely it, it, some benefit is going to have to happen to rec- to convince people to do the same thing with glasses. I'm I'm sorry. I may have mentioned this to you before, but it happened again today. I, when I was cooking breakfast, I had AirPods in, listened to Mary Chapman Carpenter, and so gently the music faded away, and Siri whispered a text message into my head, and it was like a friend was uh, telepathically communicating. I really liked it, and it was so much better than looking at a screen to read it. God, mm. first time I've ever rethought really because I'm such a fast reader. Text is usually quicker, but putting down the, the frying pan, picking up the phone. Or even actually even turn the watch. You have mm-hmm. so many ways to text me. And yeah. yet so few people do. And that, that, of course, is your reminder for all of our listeners to please, please sign William up for SMS alerts for all kinds <laughs> of services. Let's make sure that he gets all the texts he can handle. Yeah, that, that may not be a very big number, but okay. <laughs> right. Dollar Shave Club. When I talk about Dollar Shave Club, I can't stress enough the quality of their products. They've spent years developing, crafting, and refining everything. And they have everything that I use to look, feel, and smell my very best. You name it, they have it, I use it. Now, I've been using the Executive Razor, which is a, a metal handle, which adds a nice bit of weight to it. And their, their blades, shave butter, prep scrub, and, and it really is quality stuff. One of the things that really contributes, there are really two ingredients to a good shave. And they are good prep with a, a really uh, slippery shave cream or shave butter, and then a sharp blade. And the shave butter and the shave lather that they have is really slick. It's slippery. It, it makes the razor glide. And that contributes really well to a good shave because you don't want to use pressure. You just want to have the razor glide over the surface of your skin to cut hair. And the other component is because they're a subscription service and you get the blades always when you need them, uh, you can get rid of a blade the minute it begins to pull or tug. And that way you're not trying to prolong the life of something that should have been replaced ages ago. Doing those two things will give you the best shaves of your life. And, and as I say, they keep you automatically stocked up on the products you want use. You can get what you want whenever you need it, whether that's once a month or a few times a year. You never have to waste time at a store wondering if you're getting the right thing, whether it's any good. And as a Dollar Shave Club member, I know that what I'm getting is the highest quality. And right now, you can put the quality of Dollar Shave Club's products to the test. Their Ultimate Shave Starter Set has basically everything you need for an amazing shave. The Executive Razor, Shave Butter, Prep Scrub, Post Shave Dew... The best part is that you can try it for just $5. And after that, the restock box ships regular-sized products at regular prices. Get your ultimate starter set for just $5 at dollarshaveclub.com slash appleinsider. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash appleinsider. 
Apple earned 66% of the entire smartphone market's profits in 2019. Allegedly. Allegedly. So yeah. this research comes to us from CounterPoint Research. Yes, we've been doing it for a long time. We've covered on Apple Insider many, many times over the years. You know, they work hard at this, and uh, their estimate is six in the last quarter, sixty-six uh, percent of the profits. Okay, so there, like there are a few billion. things that go into this, right? Mm -hmm. One of them is that Apple is is a little unique. They're a single provider of iOS devices mm -hmm. versus competing smartphone devices, which are. Pretty much Android's your only game in town. Windows Phone is gone. There, there are no strong competitors for iOS besides Android. And among Android, there are multiple sellers. You can buy from Samsung, Huawei, Oppo, Vivo, Xiaomi, right? I was struggling on the last one. Yes, there are, I see your point. So you're saying the Android thing is actually diluted just by the fact that there are lots of manufacturers. Right. So... The remaining 34% of profits was divided among Samsung, Huawei, Oppo, Vivo, and Xiaomi. Of those, Samsung had the highest bid. They were they had 17% of that 34%. Nice. A 17 instead of uh, 66 is still pretty... Um, um, I know which one of the two I would prefer, shall we now, say. Now, what would be interesting to me is if we were talking unit sales as opposed to profit sure right and the reason for that is because it would, it would be telling to know how many devices are in actual users hands not just how much the company's made on those devices and and the reason i say that is that samsung sells you know they have some flagship phones right they mm -hmm. they have they have galaxy note 10 whatever's they have all, all those fancy things but they also sell a lot of affordable phones inexpensive phones oh i see so you'd be curious to know what the, the did they did they sell uh, did yeah. they outsell apple by unit sales but make much less because they were selling them for much less right there's there's sort of a fuller picture here yeah you i think you have to assume that there are more android phones sold than iphones you just don't know what the figures would be Right. And and in the past, that kind of thing has been, you know, there, there's been some variance, but it tends to float around half and half when you take into account all of the Android sellers. Um, there, there, are, there are people... I didn't know that. I, well, I honestly thought it, it was more Android, but... It, it, okay. it is sometimes and sometimes not. And it sometimes you could divide it up by country. And so if you look at North America, for example, then then you'll see that iPhone... Is, is outselling Android. But if you look at worldwide, you'll see it flip. All that is to say there's a lot of way to slice this data. And that iPhone tends to sell less in unit sales as opposed to all Android phones when we're talking worldwide. So you're correct on that. But this profit bit is an interesting thing. And one of the things that I was, was curious about is the other day, uh, an Android fanboy was talking with me and was saying that that you know, Apple, the only reason that Apple is, is even succeeding in this is because they're charging so much for the iPhone. And so I was, I was sort of looking mm -hmm. at where prices have gone over time. Now, obviously the first iPhone, iPhone, you know, we call it 2G yeah. was the first model was unsubsidized and expensive. Uh, over time, 
phones were subsidized, and so we um, we, no, we paid. Wait, I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about that guy who was talking to you. Somebody's actually said to you that if iPhones were cheaper, they wouldn't sell as well as they do. Don't don't try and reason it out. Okay. <laughs> but basically, he was hurt that Apple is succeeding as well as they are when Android is clearly superior to him. Well, I'm sure it is to him, and I would say iOS is to me. I fair, think fair, but balance what of I was thinking on my was, side. But yeah. so, if we talk about profit, then we're also talking a little bit about uh, what what average selling cost is, or you know, initial sales price of an iPhone model is, right? Well, we um, can. I just we don't have the data to back it up because I don't know what the cost of a Samsung Galaxy Note S uh, ten is, even if we knew the split of things. But yes, obviously, the per unit price. Is significant to the profits. All right. Well, I was just looking at uh, iPhone pricing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, at at launch, an iPhone seven was six forty nine to eight forty nine. Mm-hmm. At launch, an iPhone eight was six forty nine to eight forty nine. Okay. iPhone nine at all? No. No. iPhone. Let's skip that one. Okay. iPhone X, if you will. No, iPhone X. Uh, thank you. Okay. Yes. Thousand dollars to thousand one hundred forty-nine. Okay. Now that's really the outlier because, as we know, iPhone X really did. It did. You know, other phones when the new ones announced, the old model sticks around as the lower cost model. Price gets yeah. reduced and it hangs around. iPhone X did not. iPhone was one. iPhone X was one year only. Yes. iPhone XR seven forty-nine to eight ninety-nine. Okay, I'm still holding these figures in my head. Yes. Okay. Mm. Well, let me let me give it to you as, as a point of reference. iPhone 10R 749 899 as opposed to iPhone 8 649 to 849. Okay. Yes. At the low end, we went up by $100 at the high end $50 difference. Okay. iPhone 11 699 to 1099. Seems a bigger spread when you put it like that. Bigger okay. spread, but the bottom end became more affordable than the previous year. Okay, that's true. So compared to iPhone eight or iPhone seven, six ninety nine versus six forty nine, not that big a difference. This is a side point, but I have to say I deeply love my iPhone eleven Pro. Mm-hmm. I thought I liked my ten S Max last year, but I adore the 11 Pro. So uh, even though when you mention the figures of how much less you could spend on an iPhone, I'm fine with having gone out on that mortgage level. What I'm suggesting is that as much as people bemoan prices growing over time, as much as people say, iPhones are too expensive now, iPhones have gotten too expensive, no one can afford an iPhone. If you look historically, there's an iPhone model that's priced if you could afford an iPhone in 2016, you can afford an iPhone today. Yeah. I if, don't know what it's like in and, the States, though, but here the decline of um, subsidized offers, uh, cell phone deals and all this stuff, uh, it, it took longer for those to go away here than I think it did in the States. I'll answer so. that in a moment. But mm-hmm. I, I want to stay with my point that prices have not changed as dramatically as people think. Now, this is ignoring things like 10s max or 11 pro max or or whatever it is that are the the giant sized phones and the huge numbers that it's possible to pay out for a maximally equipped maximum spec model but 
on the whole, pricing has remained more or less within a small margin of error. They're kind of flat, that it's not as bad as people suggest. And I want to add to that how long phones are supported for. Okay. I'm still stuck on the. I, I think your argument works for the base price it of does. these things, but and I, don't I think know that's that useful. It works. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. But carry on. Yes. Okay. iOS seven was was more or less around. You know, a for for what a year basically two years. iOS eight, the the iPhone five C and five S, right? They were supported in iOS seven, iOS eight, iOS nine, iOS ten. Then the five C dropped off. So it got, what, four years of support on that. The iPhone 5S made it for, f- for six years and got all the way to iOS 12. The iPhone 6 stopped being supported with iOS 13. So it got basically one, two, three, four, five, oh, six, six years of support. The nice. 6S is still supported in iOS 13. As lo- and that's a phone from 2015. Basically... Uh, we we have phones going back four and and five years that are still supported. No, basically the decade is running out so fast is what that tells me. I've got an iPhone six on the desk in front of me. That was my main phone until not very long ago. Mm-hmm. Where did the time go? So yeah. when you think about buying a phone and and not taking advantage of offers from carriers, which you just mentioned, I'll address in a second. You're you're buying a phone. You can hold on to it for quite a long time. And if you top, chop that, that $649 or $699 fee and divide it up and amortize it across all the years that you're going to use that phone, that's well, yes, not... That, that works if you can afford to buy it in the first place. But also, I don't True. know what the figure is for uh, Samsung's or how long Samsung supports things uh, or any Android. Well, idea. so Android does... N- not so much. Many, many Android phones receive updates a little bit but never changed their major version number. That is, they never moved from Android 7 to Android 8 or Android 8 to Android 9 or Android 9 to Android 10. I the phones, wow. the phones okay. that do that are the Google Pixels. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the Essential Phone did for some time, but now has declared that, that for their Essential Phone, which was the first model they launched a couple of years ago, that they're no longer going to continue supporting it after Android 10. And... So that's kind of it. Everyone else, when you buy the phone, that's the version you can expect to be stuck with. And any kind of update that you're going to get is going to be a surprise. And uh, the, the answer is they release phones often enough. You should consider getting a new phone if you want the new version. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and, or there are alternatives. You know, if you're, if you're so inclined, you can unlock your phone's bootloader and flash it with a <laughs> ROM from that's based on AOSP, Android's open source program, and, uh, you know, load your own. I, I for example, have a, uh, it's a Google Nexus 6P, which was made by Huawei, and it was running Android 8, but was never going to see Android 9 or Android 10. And so I unlocked its bootloader, and I flashed something called Pixel Experience 10 on it, which is very much a beta ROM, and have been able to run Android 10 on it now. And it's now got worse battery life as a result. I actually had the Nexus 6P with good battery life. Most of them had trouble. And, and actually running this, this ROM has now made my battery worse on it. But that's the trade-off. 
there is just no possibility that I could ever be bothered to go through all of that. I'll stick with the phone I've got until I can buy another one. But um, I do these things for research. I, I really wanted to see what was going on with Android 10. And specifically, there's a Google Recorder app, which does voice dictation amazingly well. And oh, it's right. all doing it in device. It doesn't send it to the cloud. And Ooh, so okay. I wanted to see that. And have you yet seen it enough to be able to tell us whether it's brilliant? I, I want to see it on iOS. I want to see it replicated for iOS because I really do think it is brilliant. It's a great way for me to you, – you know how when you sit down and you're, you're, you begin to type and maybe the words don't flow from your keys, but if you just paste the room a little bit speaking, uh, speaking out loud off the cuff, you, you'd get enough inspiration to be able to write your piece? Well, actually, no. Not to be awkward. I find I think through the keys. Uh, but yes, I know many, many people who would uh, work the same way as you. Right, so that's ideal for them. Yes, I'm just a freak who can't who can't type. Yes, okay. I'm going to hold uh, you to that freak. Okay. Oh, what's the name of it? <laughs> uh, by the way. You wanted to ask about carrier deals. So, in the United States, we formerly had subsidized deals, and have ended all subsidies and changed to a model where you basically get interest-free loans from the carrier, and you pay them off per month. And, and until they're fully paid off. And then your phone bill goes down accordingly. Okay, yes. And every carrier offers them, and every carrier offers other things to sweeten the deal, typically a buy one, get one offer. So, for example, when I upgraded my phone to iPhone XR, I also upgraded my wife's to XR by virtue of a buy one, get one deal. The deal was if you buy an iPhone XR and you add a new line of service to your plan, then you get a free iPhone XR in addition. So I, I opened up a line for one of my daughters and got a free iPhone XR, which I then gave to my wife. Right. And what does your daughter use then? Uh, iPhone SE. Oh, okay. All right. So you haven't just opened up a line and denied her a phone. That would be cruel. That would be parenting. awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a really good deal. So uh, I wasn't really conscious of any deals worth speaking of going on here when I was buying. doesn't mean that there aren't other times, but that's much better than I would have thought. That's cool. Yeah. No, and when I got the uh, iPhone 11 for myself, there was a deal that I was able to take advantage of. All right. So if you at least shop around a little bit, uh, you can do okay. Oh, absolutely. Things. And we run those articles about how to shop around. Of course we do. Yes. Good On some, some Apple Insider site, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Hmm. See? I learned something. I know. Insider. Excellent. Okay. You're about to learn something more. Atto. This segment is brought to you by Atto. Now, Atto technology is the power behind the storage. And what Atto does is Atto provides Mac users with high-performance network and storage connectivity, for, and they've been doing it for over 30 years. Their premium connectivity solutions for Macs include a wide range of low-latency, highly optimized Thunderbolt and PCIe options. The media industry has relied upon Atto connectivity for over 30 years, and you can too. Atto has low latency, high performance solutions I just mentioned, and they work both for current Macs and the upcoming new Mac Pro. Whether it's Thunderbolt, Hostbus, Fiber Channel, you're ready to unleash the power of the new Mac Pro. Visit Atto.com to discover why Atto is the power behind the storage. If I may, uh, funny you should mention the Mac Pro. I mean, Who's talking about the Mac Pro these days? But uh, I've been checking 
Apple stores uh, here in the UK uh, to see what was going on. They were selling the trash can uh, Mac Pro until just a couple of days ago, definitely after the announcement uh, of the new one. Um, but uh, that's gone and I asked them when they're getting in the new one and here in Birmingham, so central uh, England, they said they simply don't know uh, because it's not a consumer thing. They're not expecting to get one for months. And London, one of the London stores, there are several, one of them will get a uh, Mac Pro in the screen. Uh, Manchester has, I think, at least one store where that will get one. And Birmingham is apparently arguing with other Apple stores over which one of them uh, gets it. I just want to see the Pro Display XDR and how gorgeous it is uh, so that I can then come back to my terrible cheap monitor here and regret everything. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'm still interested in knowing what other computers the display will work with. Yes, because uh, you were talking about this, isn't it? It will work. Is it the iMac that it will work with, but at a lower rate? But also uh, the iPad, I believe it works with. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. I, I wonder if that's at lower resolution. Well. I don't know, but I'm curious. Yeah. One of the things that I like a lot is Apple HomeKit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm some frustrations, but yes, I like it very much. Well, so I, I have used amazon alexa devices and smart home with amazon alexa and i have a google nest mini or a google mini and have got some devices working with it and one of the valid concerns people have about those devices is uh security and privacy hmm. and of course amazon says they've done lots to address privacy although they keep having problems with their their ring products and Google hasn't really talked about what they're doing to address privacy, but, you know, they're Google. What do they need to do? They're big, yes. right? And Apple has, has always had HomeKit based around privacy first, where things, for the most part, work primarily on the home network and don't have to go to the cloud to, to function. It's it's there. There are some exceptions. There are some devices that work a little differently and do require that. But but that's kind of HomeKit's basis is that things are secured, and that's been the basis of the the initial authentication chip and the H digit codes and things like this, is that it's it's around security. And Apple has open sourced. They've decided to publish an open source version of the HomeKit accessory development kit, which allows more users to experiment with the development of HomeKit accessories. They're they, they, they've begun posting portions of this HomeKit accessory development kit to GitHub. GitHub is, of course, the open source code repository that is now owned by Microsoft. Oh, yes. I forgot about that aspect. Yes. Ah. Okay. Uh, anyone can use the open source ADK to prototype smart home devices. Um, so if you have a device in mind that you want to build, you can you can go ahead and use it to get started. If you want to build it for your own home, you can use it. Uh, accessory managers can also use the manufacturers. Accessory manufacturers can also use the open source ADK to test products before formally joining the HomeKit MFI program, uh, which means they can make proof of concept evaluations before going through the whole process of becoming an MFI partner. This sounds great. Everybody wins. Mm -hmm. uh, anything that's going to actually be sold, any individual or company who's actually going to sell compatible accessories have to use the commercial version of the kit okay i've no idea what the cost of that is but uh, uh better to have uh 
Loved well, and lost, no. Tried it out, yes. Going going through the commercial program means there are costs, but it also means that there are certifications and approvals and and things like this. So it's all the stuff that you'd really want to do and is, as a part of managing what's going to be sold and given the seal of approval and the home kit stamp and all of that, right? Using the logo program, the whole thing. Hmm. But making an open source program is an interesting one. So... Separate from this news, in the past, there have been some parts where Apple has has made efforts for home hobbyists and, and manufacturers who want to do proof-of-concept stuff, and they released bits of it in the past. And one of the other things they did was they allowed authentication to happen without the authentication chip, software authentication. And so there are people who have put together bits that make... HomeKit possible for MQTT devices or make HomeKit possible for custom firmwares for Sonoff devices. And, and they're basically just hacking the firmware and putting the firmware out there and saying, this thing will change this device from being a Sonoff device to being a Sonoff device running HomeKit-enabled firmware. You're at your own risk. Have fun. And I wonder if this open source ADK will make that easier. So I'm going to talk to some of those developers and find out because I, I quite like the idea of there being people experimenting at the edges. This is where the fun happens. This is where the future gets made is when you release something and people can tinker with it and do their custom adaptations for their custom weird bits of hardware. And then it becomes something interesting. You know, we would never have gotten motorized window blinds in HomeKit if it hadn't been for people trying to figure out how to handle the fact that they got window treatments for windows that are too tall to handle manually. Mm. And the ceiling fan space, for example, is still one of the spaces in HomeKit that is really weak. Hunter fans is kind of the only game in town for ceiling fan, and they only address it in one way, buy a new fan. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I was about to make something, some sarcastic comment about uh, motorized blinds, how we can just get it. But actually, I've never been able to get the non-motorized blinds to work in my office. I just have a bare window. If I could just fit it once and know that a button worked, I am drawn to this prospect. Okay. Well, IKEA, of all people, were interested in the motorized blinds and started working on making that happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm uncertain about uh, IKEA at the moment because I, I gave quite a good review to their, uh, their very cheap, very adaptable um, mains plugs. What would you call them in the States? Uh, yeah, yeah, outlets. Yeah, outlets, thank you. Um, but actually, when it goes wrong, they're a, a royal pain trying to set back up again. And I must admit, I've given up on one of them. So, well, and I've, I've had similar problems with Belkin stuff. So, um, oh, right. Yeah, that's disappointing. You know, here we are. Yeah, okay. But what I want to tell you, and this is important, so Amazon has been doing this thing where in their Echo Plus 3, they put a Zigbee radio inside. Zigbee is a wireless communication protocol and, and firmware that takes place in a different space than Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. It doesn't have the same kind of pairing requirements and it doesn't have the IP setup issues that, that you get with, um, with Wi-Fi. And so it's a low power, longer range spec that's interesting. And... The Philips Hue lights are actually Zigbee, and that's why you have the Hue bridge to pair with the bulbs. Oh, right. And IKEA's bulbs, in fact, are, are Zigbee, which is why they work with the Philips Hue bridge. 
Interesting. Okay. So, so there on on one piece of news, there's this open source accessory development kit working with Amazon who likes to use it because they, they want to, what, what, what the, the goal of this is for the, the open source kit is for people to be able to experiment and build stuff, which is great because Apple desperately, I think needs to have more developers experimenting and building stuff in HomeKit. The second piece of news that I was sort of alluding to is that Apple has joined a Zigbee Alliance group with Amazon and Google and Ikea and others called Project Connected Home over IP. Now that name is probably a mouthful. So let's just abbreviate it. Let's let's call it by its initials. Choip. Okay. Choip. Sorry. Connected yes. home over IP. Yep, you heard it here first and possibly also last, but Choip yes. it is. Yes. Exactly. So the industry group is going to take an open source approach for the development and implementation of a new unified connectivity protocol. The member companies expect that the joint approach to developing the new technology will accelerate the development of the protocol and deliver benefits to the manufacturers and consumers faster. So this isn't to replace HomeKit. What it it looks like to me is that this protocol is going to complement existing technologies along with HomeKit. So we have we have Bluetooth and BLE as a protocol. We have Wi-Fi and now we'll have this Zigbee radio as a part of this alliance. Okay, that all sounds interesting. Now, formerly, formerly Google Thread and Google Wave were Google's attempt to try and replace Zigbee. And they even had a firmware that was based on a version of Android called Brillo that would replace the firmware on a Zigbee device. And they were trying to do that. So this is the, the first goal of this specification is to use Wi-Fi up to and including Wi-Fi 6 and include Google Thread over its 2.4 gigahertz radios and IP implementations for Bluetooth Low Energy for the network and physical wireless products. They're basically trying to rent bundle all of these things into one standard so that Alexa, Google, Apple, and all of the associated manufacturers can all write to the same thing and work across all the platforms. What do you think the odds are? Well, I I want it to work. Hmm. I want it to work because what what I've been doing is trying to buy devices that are platform agnostic that work with Amazon and Google in the eventuality that that something bad happens to HomeKit and it peters out. Because HomeKit isn't just Apple. You know, Apple's not going to give up on HomeKit, but it also relies on these third-party manufacturers making products for it. And if they stop, then where are we? Stuck with the products we've already bought? Yes, but unable to expand. And that's not good for the future of a platform. So I've been, been buying these other thing, these things that work across all three as sort of my lifeboat plan of giving in to having smart home through someone else. I don't really want to do that. So my hope is that this plan works so that I don't have to worry about that. That all the things will be all compatible and because it'll be a standard that the big three have adopted, it will live on because there, there is no need for a lifeboat, that manufacturers would be silly not to do it. And even if they were doing it because their intended customer is an Amazon or a Google customer, it would work for HomeKit as a byproduct, yeah. which is still acceptable to me. Yeah. I think this is one where I should put a pin in it for a year and see what's happened. Well, yeah, absolutely. Mm. But fingers crossed. Yes, I see your point. Uh-huh. So two things to be hopeful about. 
Yes. In this crazy mixed up world, we've now got two things. Given all that's happened in 2019, two things to be hopeful for is not bad. <laughs> I'm not passing it up, no. <laughs> of course, now I have to dash your hopes. Oh, okay. I have to break your hopes and dreams. Okay, what do you know about my hopes and dreams? No, no, well, just do it. Allow me to, to continue for just a moment, and then we'll see how, how heartbroken you are. I'm not sure how wise this of me, but yes, okay, go ahead. New research, it's not just me saying this, research, published in Current Biology, mm -hmm. suggests that night mode user interfaces are yes. detrimental to your getting a good night's sleep. Oh, detrimental? Yes, not... that means bad. Yes, <laughs> thanks. I was, I was clear on that point, just not the application uh, of the words. Um Okay, well, I actually switched off night shifts because I was doing uh, Final Cut Pro 10 stuff on my Mac and it was slightly altering how the screen looked and I kind of never bothered to switch it back on again. And you're saying I was actually sensible and wise and in some way healthier? Well, a little bit. So, but people use dark mode on the phone, for example. I use dark mode on the phone. And using dark mode on the phone is easier on my eyes in darkness. But... It doesn't mean that it's good for sleep. Here, here's the thing. The claim is people have decided that blue light disrupts sleep patterns because it suppresses the production of melatonin. And it does this because it mimics hues and colors that we see during daytime hours. And, and that's, that's the theory. You know, my, my uh, ophthalmologist, my eye doctor has said that... Uh, you know, the, the, the whole blue light thing is a little bit unscientific because no one's exactly sure which frequencies and no one's really sure exactly what amount of exposure or brightness or, or you know, what transmission is acceptable because things don't block all blue light. You still see blue on the screen. So there, there's, there's questions here. But to counter the supposedly ill physiological effects of blue light emitted by devices like iPhone, the feature automatically shifts display colors to warmer temperatures later in the day. That's night shift. And, and so there was a valid scientific theory about why those things should work, says Dr. Tim Brown, the, the person who wrote the, the article for Current Biology and published the study and conducted the research. He, he says research 20 years ago linked melanopsin, a light-sensitive protein found in the eye, with body clock regulation. As melanopsin better detects short-wavelength photons, the system was thought to be more sensitive to blue light. He says now that cone cells in the retina responsible for detecting color are now thought to play a more substantial role in natural sleep patterns. The, the melanopsin system is fundamentally there to detect brightness. So basically, brightness matters more than color temperature. And just changing to night shift is not going to, to help you get a good night's sleep because you're still looking at a bright light. Okay. They could have checked all of this before we started. So leading us down this nightmare road. Okay. Basically, if you want to get a really good night's sleep, go to bed the same time at every night. This is this is my understanding from my research, and I worked on sleep products in the past. So, you need to go to have a consistent bedtime and bedtime environment. Go to bed at night at the same time every night. Go to bed in darkness. Put your devices down half an hour before you begin to go to bed. <laughs> uh, don't have lights and blue lights and devices and stuff in the bedroom. Things like that are going to help you more than putting blue light filters on your phone. Okay. Does it have to be half an hour? 
Okay. You need to really make sleep time dedicated for sleep. And introducing no, light to your yeah. face as you're beginning to prepare for sleep is is counterproductive. Oh, sure. But, um, you know, half an hour before, you know. Do you want to sleep well or not? I think I've given up, frankly. But, I figured um, you had, yes. But for everyone who hasn't given up on life yet. Oh, giving up on life. This is getting worse every <laughs> second. For everyone who hasn't lost hope entirely. I genuinely look forward to this every week, and this is what happens. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, William. For anybody who, yeah, so what do we do? We put the, the devices down, whole half out. Yeah, I'm going to do that, definitely. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, but it's about brightness. Brightness and eye strain and lights as you're trying to convince yourself to go to sleep. You're, it's about developing good sleep habits, really, is what's going on there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good sleep habits. All right. They're important. Hey, you want to do them well. You need to do them habitually. Okay. Definitely going to do this. Definitely. Yeah. And, and the truth is, any other thing that you want to do well, you need to develop good habits for. Right? Oh, sure. Yes, I'll go along with that. Yeah. A little bit every now and again. For, for example, if you were, say, a writer you would need to write frequently and you would need to to create an environment where you could write. Yes. Right? You know, you, you'd need to have your your workspace, your desk, or, or, you know, your environment, whether that's sitting in a cabin in the woods or going to a cafe or or creating a quiet space. You, you'd need to make sure that your environment was conducive to writing. And then you'd need to write frequently. Yes, I'll go along with all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. In order to be able to practice your craft, you have to create good habits. Okay, yes. yes. Okay. But there's a little more to it than that. For example, if you were a writer, you'd also want to read a lot. Oh, true, yes. Yeah. Right? And maybe, maybe you'd want to learn from other writers. Yes. Oh, are you offering something here? Is this building I'm about up to... to. I'm oh, about cool. to. Okay. Where do I sign up? Funny you should ask. You you should sign up at masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. Okay. I thought it was going to be you. Um, and I was going to have to <laughs> find a way to back out of this. And funnily enough, what I was thinking was, I know you're good, but you're not as good as Masterclass. Oh, yeah. No offense Thank you. There, Thank you. Really. Oh, but Aaron Sorkin and Neil Gaiman on Masterclass. Well, that's what I was so. getting at, was, you know, if you wanted to learn to write, you could learn from the best. You could have exclusive access to online classes taught by masters of their craft, Neil Gaiman and Aaron Sorkin, for example. Hmm. Right? Yes, that is true. That is true. Yes. Have you watched those? Have you watched those Masterclasses? Uh, I'm ashamed to say no. You talked about them before, and it's on my list to watch. And actually, I, although I'm a writer, there's other stuff on there. Uh, the Jodie Foster thing about film directing. I mean, she's just so interesting anyway. Uh, but there's so many people with so much things. It feels like it's going to be a nice treat over Christmas, is what I'm thinking. It's not not only is it a nice treat over Christmas, it's a nice treat over Christmas for someone else as well. So with over 70 wide-ranging class offerings, there's something there for everyone. And it's an easy way to give a gift that's personal and meaningful. 
So when you when you go ahead and take advantage of a masterclass all access pass, you also get to give one to someone oh. else. Oh, are you building up to telling me what you've got for Christmas? For a limited time, when you buy one annual Masterclass All Access Pass for yourself, you'll get another one to gift for free. You're Go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider to get started with this limited time offer. Don't miss your opportunity to get the best deal of the year and buy one All Access Pass and get one free to gift at masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. And William, don't tell Angela. That's what I'm getting her this year. No. Okay. It's better than I'm getting her. It's a secret just between you and I and 25,000 of our most excellent listeners. Okay. Right. Um, Don't let her know. Okay. Uh, I won't. Might change the label on the card at the last moment. Um, I've seen your handwriting. (laughs) uh, (laughs) No, if I must, I'll get it for you both. Oh, but, but I was intending to get it for Angela. You can get it for us both, and and then we'll get it for you <gasps> as well. Does that not seem like a good idea? That's so kind of you. That's really generous. Thanks. <laughs> I, I need to let you know that Apple has complaints. Apple has complaints, as in Apple is complaining about... Uh, it's users not buying enough. Or... No, no. Apple has complaints. Apple has signed an EU complaint. I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. Well, they they wrote a letter to the European Commission this week. Oh, EU. Sorry, sorry. Okay, yes. Yes. Have you heard of it? I hear yeah, England's leaving. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> right, really, really going off this whole thing. But yes, yes. They wrote this letter along with a coalition of tech and automotive companies to the European Commission, saying that patent licensing abuses are stifling innovation of self-driving cars and other connected devices. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. They weren't alone. There were 27 companies, including BMW, Cisco, Daimler, Dell, Ford, Lenovo, and they all informed the European Union's antitrust watchdog that some unnamed parties are allegedly refusing to license standard essential patents on fair and reasonable terms. Now, they didn't name specifically FRAND, the term FRAND, which means fair, reasonable, non-discriminatory contract laws, but the letter suggests those are the issues. And and so, to quote directly from it, it says, the practice of some owners to grant licenses only to certain companies prevents companies across the Internet of Things and related innovative technology industries from planning investments in R&D. This practice stifles innovation, discourages new market entry, and ties suppliers to established customers. As a result, European businesses and consumers may pay higher prices than they would pay in a more competitive market. So we don't know exactly which patents are being held back, and we don't know exactly who it is that is withholding those patents. Uh, The letter doesn't really identify the parties involved, but the filing was received by European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and Commissioners Marguerite Vestager and Terry Breton shortly after Nokia came under fire for its refusal to license components for autonomous vehicles. Okay, right. Now, I, I was just hoping it's going to end up with it being Spotify that we're doing it. It's not Spotify, okay. Spotify yeah. and autonomous cars. I mean, it's not impossible, yeah. but Spotify in the EU, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 
some historical precedent here. Okay, but it isn't them, so okay. So, so we don't know exactly what Apple hopes to gain from this European probe that they want. Um, but but it's more hinting that Apple is still developing self-driving car technology. Yeah, it is ridiculous how much Apple says about cars without ever saying, huh? Cars? Us? Yes. The number of patents, the number of safety reports. Um, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're definitely working on a car. No, no, don't try to stop me. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it, it seems like Nokia is really on the defensive here. So Daimler entered into a binding negotiation on component level patenting licensing with Nokia. And the EU regulators in the article, that's that's right, Margaret Vestager, um, will not be investigating until the negotiations play out. So for now, it seems like they might even be staying out of it. But um, Nokia appears to be on the defensive. They have to either come to an agreement on licensing or they they have to allow the negotiations to fail and invite the EU commissioner to step in. So there is... Goodness stuff going on here now we it's going to be interesting patent law seems to be just a confusing mess to me but then what do i know about patent law so, yeah. yeah well i mean the the idea is that he you, you want to be able to capitalize on inventions that you own for a period of time. And so you publish them and get the protection that, that says that they're yours and you can capitalize on them for a limited amount of time until the patent runs out and then they can be capitalized on by everybody. Um, and that if someone wants to use it, they have to license it from you. And if they use it without licensing it from you, you can pursue them in court. Yeah, I get the principle, but it does seem to have fallen apart. Business. Everybody's suing everybody for infringing patents they've never heard of, and then it all goes to appeal, and then everybody settles out of court, and they all do it over again. Um, is that just a well? That's harsh that's how assessment? this Frand term came about, right? The, the idea that things had to be fair and reasonable, that you couldn't license something. So, if you own a, a Frand patent, you have to license it to anyone willing to pay, and you have to have about the same terms to to everyone you license it to. So you can't license it out to one company for a small amount, but when Apple wants to come calling, it can't be two times or five times or ten times whatever else is paying. You have to do it for the same pricing so that it's fair and reasonable. Right? Yeah, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Yes. Okay. Oh, ooh. Right. Well, with that said <laughs> it just came out. I can only apologize. Well, I can also stop doing it in future, but for the moment, I can only apologize. We can stop doing yes. it for now. Okay. That sounds fair. That sounds quite sensible. Yes. This has been the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and William the Freak Gallagher is right over there. William, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, at W the Freak Gallagher and uh, <laughs> oh. William the Freak at appleinsider.com. Oh, dear. Well, near enough. Very, very similar to that. W Gallagher and William at AppleInsider.com. Please love getting emails. I'm V Marks on Twitter and Victor at AppleInsider.com. And I have enjoyed this so much. And I hope to see you all back next week. Thank you for your emails. Thank you for your comments. And I'm so glad you listened.